0: Hello and welcome to Research Roundup, brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley, and each month Sophie Schema and I will be looking at what's new in the world of cancer in primary care research.
1: This episode was recorded over the phone as our special guest has dialled in from Tasmania. Today we'd like to introduce Professor Mark Nelson, who is the Chair of General Practice and a Senior Research Fellow at the University of Tasmania. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. So we're excited to discuss the recently published ASPRI trial, which stands for Aspirin and Reducing Events in the Elderly, and the three corresponding articles can be found in our show notes on pc4tg.com.au podcast. Can you give us an overview of the ASPRI study?
2: Yes, well, aspirin was a randomised control trial with placebo versus 100 milligrams of aspirin to see if aspirin would help people aged 70 and above who didn't have a current indication for taking it, clinical indication that is, whether it made them live longer free of uh, disability. It origins go back to right back to the 19th century if you think about it, because that's when aspirin was first synthesized and we thought that if there was ever going to be a panacea, a drug that would assist healthy aging, it would be aspirin because of its multiple actions and possible prevention. It's been well known in secondary prevention studies, for example, in cardiovascular disease, that it prevents subsequent episodes of stroke and myocardial infarction. And there was also a lot of evidence to suggest that it may well have a role in cancer prevention as well especially cancers involving the gastrointestinal tract, specifically colorectal cancer. And as cardiovascular disease and cancer are the big killers of people aged over 70, there was a strong possibility that aspirin may work. And that's what we did our study to address.
0: It's not often you see clinical trials where older populations are your cohort of interest. And we often discuss this with our consumers that we have at PC4 who often bring up that age exclusions uh, in trials they're concerned with. And they think that, you know, there's obviously a lot of value in trials that consider or include older Australians, especially given our ageing population. Uh, So why is this population so important for you?
2: I think historically two groups have been neglected in clinical trials and they are women and the age. I have a saying that clinical trials are done in middle-aged males and the medications (laughs) are given to older females. This uh, historically was explained as dealing with hormonal changes in women and complexity in the age due to multiple morbidity. But it is also a criticism of clinical trials as they are not done in the group to which they would be applied. So I think that Esprit is addressing the latter. I think the Women's Health Initiative addressed the former as well. So these sort of large-scale clinical trials have a lot to offer.
0: Definitely. And your SP trial was carried out both in the US and Australia, and we've noticed, especially in our area, there's been a shift by funding bodies to prioritise international trials, and these trials are often more complex and are logistically more difficult to conduct. Do you have any advice for primary care researchers about conducting international trials?
2: Just that you need to travel. (laughs) Australia is a long way from North America and Western Europe. We Where such trials are often conducted. So you need to put yourself out there. You also need to be inclusive. It may be your baby, but it is important that you convince potential collaborators that this is their trial also.
0: Great advice.
1: So we know there is a complex landscape around the effects of aspirin and bowel cancer. What confounding
2: factors are likely to influence your results? It's unlikely that there are any confounding factors as the study is randomised, blinded and very large. We know that the population was healthier than the general age population and this could be expected from excluding individuals who had a clinical indication or contraindication to aspirin. But this would have affected the incidence and not the between group differences. We considered the possible unmasking of earlier colorectal cancers and higher cancer mortality by aspirin-related bleeding but we didn't really see any evidence of this when we looked at the study.
1: In the primary study, you included a composite of three endpoints, which were death, dementia or persistent physical disability. Can you describe why you chose combined primary outcome and if you think this is a direction in which research is heading?
2: I think this is a direction in which research is moving in the oddly, and I think we're leading it. Remember I said there was a multiple possibilities for prevention, but there's also multiple possibilities for harm, especially around bleeding. And, and what we do know is that not only do your risk of things like cancer and heart effects and strokes go up as you age, but also your bleeding risk. And the morbidity and mortality associated with such bleeding also affects the elderly much worse. So it's very difficult to work out what the balance of benefit and harm may be. So we developed the composite primary income, which is alive, free of dementia and disability as a way of capturing both the benefits and harms of the taking of aspirin, because you will get bleeds that would lead to death, you would get bleeds that would lead to stroke, for example and thus you can have a better idea about whether somebody benefits from going on it overall.
1: So it was shown in your subgroup analysis that there was a significant difference in mortality rates based on the country of origin and that the effect of aspirin was limited to Australian participants. Could you elaborate on these
2: results for our listeners? I am reticent to read too much into this observation as there were significant age and ethnicity differences between Australia and the US. Mm-hmm. um and these subgroup analyses need to be interpreted cautiously. For example, the. US had to because of legislation recruit minority groups there in the proportion that they are in the general population. as that population is at higher risk of for example cardiovascular disease and they have a shorter life expectancy then, At the age of 70, few of them are represented in the general population and few of them that are in the general population aren't eligible for the study. So that's why there was a differential in age. In the US, they're allowed to... from 65 years and on and there was in the end a dedicated strategy to include minority groups.
1: Great, so you acknowledge in the publication that your length of follow-up is a limitation. Does your group have any plans to further investigate the effect on cancer mortality found in older Australians taking aspirin?
2: We are conducting a post-trial cohort study called which stands for Spree Extension Study, um, it'll have the same surveillance and adjudication processes for cancer as we had within the Spree study proper.
0: Our final question for you, Mark, is around the clinical practice guidelines for the prevention, early detection and management of colorectal cancer, which were recently updated and included the addition of daily intake of aspirin for all people aged 50 to 70 years who are at average risk of colorectal cancer. Do you feel there are any clinical implications for older adults given the results of your trial?
2: Uh, we did not see any benefit from Aspen for the prevention of cancer and a suggestion of harm in clinically significant bleeding and higher mortality, which was largely driven by cancer. This cancer was across all types and bone needs to be interpreted cautiously due to the multiple com- comparisons, It does not support as Aspen as a cancer chemoprophylactic in the over 70s. However, having said that, is that If you look at the meta-analyses regarding the preventive action of aspirin, it is often found over decades rather than over the short period of time that you get in a clinical trial. Um, We did 4.7 median years follow-up. So, again, reiterating the importance of the esprit extension study to look at cancer outcomes in the long term.
0: Great, definitely. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and dialling in all the way across the uh, Bass Strait. We look forward to hopefully seeing more results from you soon.
2: Oh, no problems. Um, it's very important. I mean, the success of the Esprit study depended on the over 2,700 GPs who agreed to join and over uh, 2,000 GPs who... Were co-investigators in that they provided participants within the study. Yeah, that's just fabulous. So it's very important fabulous. that we get the message out to general practice about research being done. Definitely. obviously important and could not be done without their contribution. I'd like to thank the uh, GP co-investigators.
0: Thank you very much. Okay. Have a great day. No <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au.